Hi there, and welcome back to the SMB Cybercast podcast, where it's all about helping small and medium enterprises and IT professionals learn cybersecurity, improve their defenses, and prevent breaches. If you want to take the security of your organization to the next level, then this is the right place for you. Welcome, and thanks for listening. Hi, and welcome. This is our podcast, and today we're talking about um, CIS 20 as the groundwork for cybersecurity uh, program in your organization. This is going to be part one of a part two or probably part three series as we talk about using the CIS 20 as a, um, a framework for your organization. So let's go ahead and get started. Well, we have a lot to talk about. A lot. Um, so I'll go ahead and give a brief uh, description of who CIS is. Okay, that'd be good. Um, so people know. So the CIS stands for the Center for Internet Security. Um, they are a nonprofit entity or organization. Um, they do a lot of work on um, building cybersecurity programs, threats, tools um, to make available for um, organizations. And one of the uh, many things they've come up with is the C- CIS 20 security controls. Right. Um, they've kind of taken on this project of coming boiling cybersecurity down to 20 controls that every organization can implement. Right. Um, so the controls are broken into a few categories. Um, we have the basic controls. Um, then we have the intermediate controls and advanced controls. Right. Um, and again, these are all the main 20 things that every organization should be working on for cybersecurity. Right. So because it's broken up so nicely, we're going to just look at the first part today. We're going to look okay. at the basic controls. Uh, it's quite a bit to go over. So let's dive right in. Okay, great. So the first item on the SIS-20 list is an inventory and control of hardware assets. And again, this is a very basic control that every organization should have, which I highly agree. Um, If you don't know what is on your network, you don't know what you need to protect. Right, that's correct. Um, I mean, so often, so often in organizations, um, we see uh, rogue devices popping up and keeping and maintaining this um, hardware asset list will help right. prevent that. And, you know, you would think theoretically you should know what's on your network, but then again, you sometimes you really don't know what's on your network or get at it. Yeah. You don't know what people you have bringing their own computers, phones, right. tablets, et cetera, and hooking them on your network. And if that device is vulnerable and it's on your network, it could be an entry point of attack. That's correct. Um, so... The control, this particular control, seeks to, um, for an organization to actively manage inventory, to track, and to uh, correct all the hardware devices that are on their network um, so that, like we said, only authorized devices are given access. Right. Um, and then you want unauthorized and unmanaged devices to be found um, quickly, and you want to prevent them from gaining access to your network. Right. And, and, and this is a, I wouldn't say basic, but yeah, basic purging or cleansing of your network. Again, knowing what's on there. A, a great inventory control. Yeah, this should be step one for any security program that you right. seek to implement. Right. Uh, find out what's on your network. Um, so, uh, in addition to the phys- uh, the um, actual Ethernet network or right. devices actually plugged in, you got to think about Wi-Fi. Don't forget Wi-Fi. That's correct. Um, so... I like to tell organizations and even practice doing it, periodic Wi-Fi sweeps. Right. Um, maybe once a week, take your computer, walk around the 
uh, facility, see if you see any uh, new Wi-Fi networks plugging up. Right. I mean, showing up. Um, it's not uncommon for a user to feel like their network is slow or their computer is slow and the internet is slow, so they bring in a wireless access point and try to hook it up. <laughs> Unfortunately, it happens quite regularly. You know, and, and the Wi-Fi system that you're using should have some type of notification for a notifying you of a rogue device out there or picking up another device. Yeah, many, many of the, uh, any level of professional Wi-Fi that right. goes in an organization have it, even the lower end of the professional. Right. They have that capability to notify you if a rogue Wi-Fi appears or if a Wi-Fi with the same name as one of yours right. appears, right. Um, which would be used for an attack. Right. And that should be a definite threat or a definite threatening alert for you. I was even thinking back as I was reading this originally, thinking about the, the ubiquity of the Unify controller has this built right into it. I'm going to you know, hey, there is something out there with the same SSID as one of your devices. Right. And that's one of the lower end. So right. for sure, most of the higher end have it too. Right. And then, so you got to realize that the attackers are always going to be scanning your right. networks. Right. Whether you're scanning them or not, they are. Um, once they get a foothold, even from the internet, they are constantly scanning. Um, and they're looking for devices that aren't fully patched. Right. Um, they're looking for hardware that's uh, installed. Um, maybe you start at setting up a server. Um, you start one day and then the day's over, so you just leave it as is. Right. Come back the next morning to uh, finish. Um, they're looking for that kind of stuff because right. it's not uh, completely hard and configured yet. They can use that as a um, hopping point right. uh, further into your network. And, and really, as we're you know talking about this, you got to think about your network as being a. You have to have a proactive thinking about it. You have to not set it, and leave it, how traditionally a lot of people do. But you got to proactively think about. Okay, we got this out here. What's actively looking at me? Let me see who's out there trying to peer into my network. So taking a proactive approach more than reactive. And again, so even with the um, mainstream becoming mainstream of BYOD. So many organizations allow users to bring their own devices, <clears throat> even if they maybe they have a guest network um, for uh, employee phones and that kind of stuff. Just having a guest network does not isolate that from the rest of your network, especially if it's not set up correctly. Um, so that's something to keep in mind. Um, all of these, any of these devices, be, could become a uh, pivot point further into your network. I mean, how do you know that an employee is not bringing their computer and their computer's got malware on it when they brought it to begin That's with? Right. <laughs> so. And then again, guest systems, guest networks, those should be managed um, very carefully, um, maintained. Um, so some of the ways that you could work on um, inventorying your hardware assets is you could use some active discovery tools. Um, there's quite a few open source tools, uh, quite a few commercial tools. Um, that you can put on your network and they're constantly uh, interrogating everything they find. What are you? Um, what's your make? Uh, what patch levels do you have? Those kinds of things. Um, looking to uh, keep rogue devices or unwanted devices off of your network. And those softwares have come a long way over the years. And like you said, um, looking at the make, the model, what patch level you're at. Um, what software is installed sometimes. Exactly. They've, they've come a long way. So there is a a tremendous amount of software that will do that. Um, and then there are passive asset discovery tools where they're not necessarily trying, they're not trying to go through your, your entire network IP scope and look for every device, but they're sitting there watching for traffic on your network. And when they see it, they begin documenting it and building a full, complete picture of what is on your network. 
Um, another method for if you're getting started with this, use your DHCP logging. Uh, most of your DHCP devices, which DHCP, just make it super clear. Um, dynamic host control protocol. <laughs> yeah, dynamic host control protocol, which handles giving out IP addresses to all of your devices. Um, it should log the device, the MAC address, and what IP address it gave it. Um, so you can take that inventory and use that to start looking at what exactly is on your network. It's asking for a device. However, that is not the only thing you should do because not every device is going to be on DHCP. Um, especially a well-planned attacker, they're most likely going to set their device to a preset IP. I'm leaving a little of a footprint as possible. And then you can take those MAC addresses and you can run them through. There's even online tools um, where you can look up the MAC address, who the make, maker of that device is. And I remember using those years ago. <laughs> I'd say years ago. I'm thinking four or five years ago those were available. That's a great tool to know to uh, when you first scanning your MAC address list to know, know initially what type of vendors and makes on there. Going back to inventory control, if you know the kind of devices that your organization have on this network, when you see something that kind of stands out with a different MAC, MAC sequence, you kind of know, hey, that's odd. That's something new there that's not really out of my um, forte or whatever. Yeah, and if you keep a detailed asset inventory, you know what is on your network. And if you're doing this regularly, once a week, a couple times a month, um, you're more likely to find unwanted devices sooner, maybe even an attacker's device uh, sooner. Uh, and you can not be one of those statistics that have attackers on their mo on their network for six months before exactly. they find them. Exactly. Knowing what's on your network. Yeah, I, I think it came to a point where we, it was a period of time we used a lot of Dell equipment, you know, and those Dell MAC addresses were a certain format. So you can kind of look at them right off and know, oh, wait a minute, that was a one-off. That's not something I normally use right there. So that is very important. You need an asset inventory of your hardware assets. Just as equally, um, uh, item number two in the SIS-20 controls, the second control is um, having an inventory in the control of your software assets, which... Uh, this is just as important, if not even more important, knowing what applications are on your network and on the devices on your network. And so with this, uh, again, we're looking to actively manage um, all the software that's on the network um, so that only the authorized software is installed and can execute. Uh, we're looking at the entire network here. We're not just looking at um, the devices. Um, there might be company devices, but if you've got employees bringing their own devices hooking up to uh, the network and they've got rogue software, that's potential trouble. True. It's amazing what softwares um, pop up on your network on devices, um, how many get installed without you knowing it. You know, and there should have some type of level of control, but it's just amazing how that, that list changes. So one of the reasons this is so important is because attackers distribute um, hostile web pages um, hostile documents, uh, files, um, all kinds of media. And then, so these are malicious documents, malicious websites. And if a user accesses this um, with a vulnerable browser, say, or a vulnerable application, um, say this is a malicious file, and they open it with a outdated version of um, Adobe, for example, they could exploit and compromise those machines. And that's why a lot, some of the phishing attacks you even see, um, they'll attach a malicious uh, document and they'll say that it has to be viewed with this version of Adobe. Another reason this is so important is 
moving forward after your um, software inventory is you got to come up with patch management. If you don't know what software is on your network, when it comes to patch management time, it's going to be uh, a hassle. So like you mentioned, um, we do see a lot of rogue software popping up, um, especially if we don't have proper access controls on machines. Um, you see unneeded software. Some of it comes with the machines by default. Um, some of it users put on but it's not needed for business purposes. Um, you might have machines showing up running malware, unwanted software. And along those lines, even software that the IT staff themselves use, they will install a software, and that software may be used for a period of time for a particular project. And a lot of times, in many cases, that software is forgotten to be removed and no longer needed. And it just becomes another attack point. That's correct. Because... As we all know, software has to be updated. Right. Vulnerabilities are found, weaknesses are found, it has to be updated. Um, if you're not updating it, it becomes outdated, it becomes an attack point. This forgotten software, it becomes an attack point. That's cool. Um, that's why your software inventory should be periodically uh, visited, um, do another inventory, just like with your hardware. Um, so you gotta keep in mind that any single failure, any single machine, any single piece of software could become a pivot point into your network. Right. Um, it's like the saying that uh, the attackers only have to be right once. The IT guys have to be right all the time. That's correct. <laughs> Proactive living. <laughs> um, yeah, so like, again, with software, um, another thing you see sometimes is when people do bring in their own machines, they might not even be running any endpoint protection. Right. And that's extremely dangerous for your environment. And with that BYOB to bring your own device, you have to have some type of a management control. I know we mentioned that earlier, but again, I just want to stress the point that when your system recognizes that your end users on their own devices um, are critical like that or have vulnerabilities, it has to have a way to contain those. Um, and you need to push back, hey, your device has been taken off the network because you don't meet our standards or you have this malware laying around here that you didn't know. So with that being said, your your network needs to have some type of, um, uh, I forgot the, term, the, the terminology of it, or a, a point where it can kind of hold it in bay before it allows it to come onto the network. Almost like a uh, captive. Like a captive portal or yeah. DMZ type setup. That's correct. That's uh, cool. Where new devices are segmented until they can be verified as right. compliant with the policies of the organization. Right. Um, so some tips for this, um, some actionable tips. Um, again, have an author inventory of authorized software. Um, know what so software is allowed. Um, only add supported software to that uh, inventory list. Right. Um, don't go downloading freeware that's not maintained and updated. Right. Um, if a user comes to the IT department wanting to use a certain software, um, do a review of it. Um, look at the history. Look at any vulnerabilities it's at. Maybe look to see if it's got any exploits. Right. See how often it's maintained. And if it's not been maintained recently or it's not maintained at all, um, find another solution. That's correct. Find another version or another, another software like you mentioned. Yes. Um, and there are, just like with the hardware, there are software inventory tools. Um, you can do this... Uh, with an agent on all your computers that talk back to a central server um, and they're going through all of your machines seeing what software is installed. Um, there are other software tools that do this uh, more passively, just scanning or interrogating your devices. And so in your inventorying, um, keep up with 
can track the name, uh, the version, the publisher, that kind of information. Um, when it was installed, the, the OS it's running on, because all of that becomes important with your pet patch management later and with your vulnerability management later, knowing the uh, context of the software. Right. Um, and then, again, using these tools, these um, software inventory tools, it can alert you much more quickly when an unauthorized software is introduced to your network. Um, application whitelisting is another uh, great way to keep this under control. Right. Especially if you, with your endpoint protection, most of the better end endpoint protections nowadays have the capability to do application whitelisting. Um, so you can come through and add only these soft, this certain list of software is allowed on computers. Right. And then, should someone try to come and install it, they're not able to. Right. Um, and then, again, with this, having proper access controls on your machines, devices, etc. Right. Uh, that's another great way to keep this under control. Um, you don't, we're going to get to this later, but you don't want everyone running admin <laughs> accounts on their computers, period. Right. That's just bad security. Right. But set it up, have them running in non-admin and then they can't install software right correct now i will there's ways around everything but this is going to stop most of your problems and then they're going to come to the it when they want something installed if they have they feel like it's actually legitimate <laughs> and it's not a lever of power it's just um safeguards built-in safeguards protecting the network and then uh one other thing with this is take time to set up proper segmentation on your network. So sometimes you might be forced to run a uh, vulnerable software or a risky software. Um, we see this a lot with embedded software, um, machines that come with embedded software. We see this a lot with healthcare devices. Um, they are running on outdated operating systems, um, software that's not maintained. It works only on that machine and you, it's critical to your environment. Then you start taking steps to segment those um, devices and that software into another zone so it doesn't uh it's protected from the outside and right. it and your rest of your organization is protected from it should something happen that's great and this and others will be rolled up into your security plan or your um, security documentation for your network or your organization um the software list uh, the hardware inventory you know as there's more points that we're going to be talking on later on but all of this should be rolled up in some type of a security policy for your organization so you'll know what is allowed, what is not allowed, um, what's authorized, what's not authorized. And for organizations or for IT teams that have been running at an ad hoc approach, this might seem like uh, very militaristic. <laughs> it might seem like uh, a lot to handle and you got to document all this. But really, your security program needs to be well documented and well maintained. Right. Um, it's you're not going to keep up with it if it's done ad hoc. That's correct. Um, we're not going to cover it in this segment, but that's why you got policies and procedures, the way things are done. Um, in the long term, it's very beneficial. It is. It is. And even from the protection end, you know what's on there beforehand. Even if something does happen, you know what you're supposed to have. So you can look back and um, go back and investigate, and it shows blearly where the vulnerability happened. So documentation is a key to a well-oiled organization or network. And again, all of this we're talking about, these are basic level controls that right. every organization should right. have. <laughs> um, so number three, 
the security control number three is continuous vulnerability management. And we could spend a few episodes talking about vulnerability management. It's a huge topic, but we're going to have to boil it down very quickly. So you want to continuously acquire, assess, and take actions on new information in order to identify vulnerabilities, to remediate them, and to minimize um, the window of opportunity that attackers have on your network and in your organization systems. Um, so again, this is a huge topic. Uh, we could spend a lot of time talking about it, but we're going to do it very quickly. So as is very obvious, the IT, computers, security, it's an extremely fast-paced environment. Things are constantly changing. Every time you turn around now, there's another breach. There's new vulnerabilities being released. It's rapidly changing, and it's impossible to keep up with it all. That means that you constantly have new vulnerabilities being introduced to your organization. Um, software patches, um, firmware patches. We're constantly getting security advisories, threat bulletins. Um, it's a really fast-paced industry. With that being said, I, I like the. It was a phrase that you used on one of our earlier podcasts about updates. Do you remember what you used? Uh, remind uh, me. Updates should not be an annoyance. <laughs> if, if managed properly, no, they shouldn't be an annoyance. Um, they're there for a reason. Right. Um, we're going to talk about managing updates the right way later, but we won't get to that for now. So we see all these software updates. We see all these patch updates, these threats. Um, the bad guys are looking at the same announcement that you That's are. Correct. Uh, they look at the same things. I was at a conference recently on... It was a joint partnership with the FBI, and they were talking about cybersecurity. So when, for example, Microsoft releases a patch, within 48 hours, they have reverse engineered that patch, and they know what the weakness was it fixed. Huh. The, they're that fast at it. Interesting. And within 48 hours, they've got an exploit for it, and they've got it for sale on the underground markets. Unbelievable. Um, so that's why patch management is so important. Right. And with that being said, okay, thinking like an attacker. So if I'm looking at everything that has been patched, I'm also looking at what has not been patched. On your well, network. And I'm probably going after that. Right. And those are vulnerabilities in your system. Right. Um, so, yeah, there's a race to weaponize those vulnerabilities, those attacks and exploits um, constantly. And that's what attackers are using. Uh, even with, I, I saw an article recently about a, uh, ransomware going around so this the ransomware is using vulnerabilities that were patched two three years ago but they're still um, for for an example the uh, blue key vulnerability uh, uh, security researcher he was doing some research a couple weeks ago he did a complete scan of the internet all right so there's a couple amazing things in this it took him one weekend to do a complete scan of every device on the internet huh. interesting so it's not it's this is not as formidable as it used to be. It's definitely getting easier for attackers. Right. He comes, he scanned the entire internet in one weekend. Okay, so the second part of this is, in his scan, he found 950,000 devices still vulnerable to Blue Keep. And that's after the patch has been released? After? Yes. Okay. So again, having vulnerab vulnerability management tools that talk with your software inventory, 
um, hardware inventory. Maybe some of them even do it themselves. Right. Some of the tools do. There's open source versions. Um, there's commercial versions. But keeping an awareness of those vulnerabilities and reducing the risk to your organization. Um, so risk, um, what is risk? Risk is the likelihood that a threat will take advantage of a vulnerability and cause damage or an unwanted outcome to your organization. Right. So that's what vulnerability management is all about. And um, that's why we do risk assessments. Um, we're looking at what could happen in your organization. I could be hacked how. I could have phishing. I could have, uh, I could have a natural disaster. There's plenty of things that could happen in my organization. And I'm going to go through all of those vulnerabilities I have and see which, uh, which ones are more likely to happen. Right. And we're going to prior- start prioritizing those and deal with the most important first. Right. Um, so again, automated vulnerability scanning tools are a great uh, way to keep up with this. Um, and then there are authenticated vulnerability scanning tools. Um, so these tools use an account on your, in your environment because using the account, they have uh, even more visibility into your machines and they can get more info, which is great. I would say if you're using something like that, it's a best idea to keep a dedicated account for that. Um, don't go giving this vulnerability scanner your admin credentials <laughs> that your system ad- administrator is using. Um, that could be big trouble. Right, right. And then automated patch management. Now, while automated patch management can be very useful, it can also be very devastating. Right. Um, just, what, a couple months ago, um, there was a patch that came out and it started breaking SMB protocol. I'm not sure how many adverse effects you got from that. But <laughs> a lot. Yeah, there was a lot. entire organizations down because of a patch that Microsoft put out. So automated patch management is great, but you want to control the automation. Right. Um, maybe you, instead of pushing updates out immediately when they come, maybe you wait a week. See if anyone else is reporting any adverse effects. You know, and I, I want to make note as we're talking here about some of these uh, items. Again, everything is a an involvement. You have to be involved in some way, form, or fashion. Everything is not again a fix, um, set it and leave it. Right. You have to be involved some sort of way to and manage this. So for small teams, this can become somewhat of a problem. True. Um, you're busy. You've got other things to do. You've got level one support to uh, provide to your users. Uh, maybe you don't even have a dedicated security person. Right. So what I, what I suggest is take one at least one afternoon a week. Take that afternoon and make that security afternoon. Right. Work on these things on that one week. Right. All right. And then maybe once a quarter, you take a whole day. Then maybe you have one week a year that you spend on security. Um, again, that's going to depend on how many people on your team, but doing, setting up something of that nature is going to be a tremendous help. Right. And, and even the, the top high level ones, the higher priority ones, hit those. Um, at least, you know, break it up. At least hit the top ones. Yeah. You can work your way down to the other ones. Um, and then again, with those automated patches we were talking about, another thing, another way to uh, prevent bad patches coming through is if you set up a test environment uh, whatever your some standard build is if you take one of those devices maybe take a standard server and if you run patches on those before you roll it out to everyone else right you'll know if it breaks anything else in your environment um as a little side note i was just recently read at um uh, microsoft windows with i think with the server operating 2016 you can defer the updates now only for 30 days but you can defer them 
And if you're using um, something like WSUS or if you're managing your own patches, then um, you can set that up however you want. True. You can approve certain patches, deny others, et cetera, et cetera. I love that software. <laughs> and another thing which I've seen mistake I've seen organizations make with automated patch management is you've got an organization with 300 computers. Don't run patches on all of them at the same time. <laughs> Your network is going to crawl to us, crawl down to a still. Uh, nobody's going to be able to get anything done. Everybody's going to rebooting, and your help desk is going to be phones going to be ringing off the hook. Even if you say, "Well, I'll do it at two in the morning," your backups are probably running at twelve or one. <laughs> yeah. So get a get a picture of your environment. When's the best time? Maybe split split up, split your machines up into groups. Run one group one day, one group the next. Split up at different times. Um, lunchtime can be a beneficial time to do it. Um, if your organization has board meetings at a certain time, don't schedule your, your patches then. <laughs> or your less critical machines, do those first. Then work your way up to your heavy production machines. Yeah, Whatever the scheme may be, make it work for your organization. All right, we're moving right along. So number four on the SIS 20 controls is controlled use of administrative privileges. Um, we've talked on this, touched on this briefly already. Uh, let's look at a little more. Um, yeah, this is a m big mistake organizations make. Um, even people at home, regular consumers make this mistake. You know, I tell everyone, don't work in the default account. Don't work in the admin account. Set up two accounts on your computer. Um, doing this, this can prevent 60, 70% of breaches or uh, attacks on your own com personal computer. So set up your uh, admin account. And then set up a uh, default, not a default, a um, lower level account and work always in lower level. Then, um, should you visit one of these malicious sites that tries to execute script on your computer or you go to any of those types of attacks, they're not going to be able to run in the background. It can stop a lot. And then when you do need to install something, you know the credentials. You can It'll uh, prompt you for admin credentials. You put them in and then keep going. So the point in this control is the processes and tools that are used to track um, the use and the assignment um, and the configuration of administrative privileges on the computers, networks, and the applications on your systems. Um, so yeah, ab the abuse of administrative privileges is one of the primary attack methods. Uh, we see it all the time. Um, so yeah, like we said, the one of those attacks might be a privileged user opens a malicious file or website and the attacker exploits their browser or their account. Um, emails with malicious payloads get run. Most of that could be stopped if it were not run in an admin account. Or another way we see this attacked is the attackers begin elevating their privileges. Um, they get regular user access and they start um, brute forcing, maybe guessing admin accounts. Um, this could be a problem if the admin credentials are shared in your organization. Right. Or weak passwords. Yeah, weak passwords. Or if the uh, credentials are shared. So you should never have IT, as an example, giving out uh, the admin password to Joe Blow in accounting because he needs to install something. You should never say, okay, here are the credentials to use. Go over there or remote on his computer and put them in yourself. Um, that becomes a big attack point. 
Um, and then another way we see this attacked is the attackers will, st will steal the hashes of your admin credentials. Um, and then they'll begin running brute force trying to crack the hashes. So complex admin credentials are vital. And to be used and managed appropriately, not um, as like an everyday user. That's what abuse happens if you're kind of lax in how you use that account. Um, so just a couple actionable tips. Change the default credentials on everything <laughs> in your environment. Leave nothing with default credentials. Uh, you know, California is even working on laws that they're not even allowed to ship devices with default passwords. Really? Yeah. That's great. Yeah, I think, you know, just real quick, back in the, when I said the old days when the, the, the D-Link or the Linksys devices, um, people you drive, remember the, what's that, the, the war driving? Netgear radio networks yeah. and the password was still password, you know. <laughs> Change yeah. the default and, passwords. And don't use password as your password. Don't use password one, two, three. <laughs> um, go find one of these lists. Um, there's a list you can use and it'll tell you the hundred most common passwords. Make yeah. sure yours is not one of them. <laughs> um, which brings me to a, another thing. Use password managers. Yes. It makes your job so much easier. You can use a separate password for every account you have. Right. You can use complex passwords, and you don't even have to remember them. Right. Um, you know the... Um, if you do that, make sure you set up multi-factor authentication. You don't want anybody getting into your password manager or you're done. Um, yeah, so set up multi-factor authentication. Use a password manager. Uh, make sure it's encrypted, which most any good one should be. Make sure you stick to a... Um, recognize one. Don't use some made-up one somewhere or freeware, unless it's legitimate, of course. Right. So yeah, change your default passwords. Create dedicated administrative accounts. Don't work in those administrative accounts. Only use them when you need to do administrative task. Right. Um, unique passwords again. Uh, have your users change their passwords regularly. Exactly. Um, that starting to be frowned on in the security industry because it forces bad practices. But I still think periodic changing is good. And you need to have a way to make sure that they are changing their passwords. Yeah. Uh, like a policy. You know, I know Active Directory pushes that out. Where you, you know, the password complexity and the, the time that you change your passwords are set up as well. You need to go back and make sure that your users are path. More likely, I've seen a lot of cases where your most critical employee to handling the financial software is using one two three their daughter's name one two three things like that you know make sure they're using um, um, hard passwords and they are changing them frequently. And if you're providing a, a password manager to all of your employees at your organization, it makes their makes it so much easier for them. And you can do that very inexpensively nowadays. And then for admin accounts, use multi-factor authentication. Um, integrate. Two-factor authentication is your best friend when it comes to security. Um, if it has two-factor authentication, you should probably use it. In which a lot of organizations are moving it, these small organizations as well. That's a good thing. They are moving the two-factor authentication. I mean, even on your network accounts, uh, on your network, uh, when you go to log into your computer, make sure your admin accounts, you can push out these policies that um, admins have to use multi-factor authentication. Right. Maybe that's through a key fob, um, Microsoft has some on-prem multi-factor authentication solutions you can use. Um, there's quite a few third parties you can use. Um, yeah, make sure you have multi-factor authentication. 
um, depending on your environment, it could be a good idea to have dedicated machines for administrative tasks. Um, yeah, if you have sharing devices, any of that uh, kind of scenario, um, you might want to keep some uh, machines just for admin tasks because if an attacker gets physical access to your machine computer, they've pretty much got in. True, so, true. I mean, and with this, you want to look at limiting scripting tool access. Mm -hmm. um, this is becoming a big pain point for a lot of organizations. Um, quite a few of the uh, main uh, ransomware and malware out right now, um, they're using PowerShell or Python scripts. So you want to limit control of that to, throughout your organization. I mean, then a great uh, way to stay ahead of the game is logging and alerts on, uh, say, certain important admin activities. Um, you can set up policies that set, log those and alert you when that happens. Um, that's a great thing to do. And then uh, make sure you have logging and alerts on failed admin logins. If an admin should know their account credentials, um, if someone's trying to log in, you want to be alerted. And a lot of these are not enterprise level. They are on the SMB level. You can implement this on the SMB level. They're not enterprise um, where you're thinking, oh, it's going to cost thousands and thousands of dollars to implement this. You can do it right on the SMB level. Yeah, this is basic controls under the SIS-20. <laughs> All right, moving right along. Number five on the SIS-20. This is, again, we're still in the basic tier, is having a secure configuration for hardware and software on your mobile devices, on your laptops, workstations, and servers. So we're looking to establish and implement and manage um, the security configuration of these devices. Um, this is using a rigorous configuration management and a change management process um, so that you can prevent attackers from exploiting the vulnerable services and settings. Um, so something to keep in mind with this um, when developing security baselines is when you buy a comp computer brand new, those settings are not configured for security. They are actually configured for ease of use. And as you know, hopefully you know, easy and security don't go together. Correct. Ease of use and security are pretty much exact opposites. So don't leave your uh, devices at the store-bought settings. Use Come up with a secure baseline that you can use. Um. Yeah, so those accounts come with the basic controls, your open services and ports, um, default accounts and passwords. All of those are vulnerabilities into your organization. Um, so you want to develop a baseline. So you take an image, you configure it to security standards that your organization needs, and then you use that as an image. Then when you get a new machine, you image it with um, the copy. You basically clone that to the all your new machines as a launching point. And it's amazing when you get a, a, a bare, well, not bare bones, but you buy a machine, you know, store-bought, big box, office box, whatever, and the amount of software that comes on it, that's by default, and you do like just a basic net stat and see what's going, where it's going out to. It's amazing what those softwares are doing behind the scenes. It's, a, it's like Swiss cheese. It is a vulnerability hole. And you need to manage your baseline. Because over time, you can have what we call decay, um, where your baseline becomes contaminated, things get in there, et cetera, right. et cetera. You want to manage your baseline. So 
if you're using a, if you have a secure image that you use, keep that in a secure location. Uh, maybe you want to keep that on an encrypted server. Uh, you're going to want integrity controls that you know it's not being changed by someone. Uh, and keep that secure so it's not contaminated or tampered with. Um, and you don't need to come up with your own baseline. Um, there's plenty of examples that you can use. Um, we're going to provide some links in the show notes. Um, but Sys has some benchmarks you can use. NIST puts them out. Microsoft has secure baselines. And you, you can use these as a starting point and then you can just customize them to your need but you don't have to start completely from scratch um, and you might need multiple baselines um, depending on your team um, you might have different departments or teams that need different um, capabilities um, so you might have a few baselines that you keep in your organization um, you might not want everyone in your organization using FTP for an example but you might have a certain team that has to use FTP to communicate with uh, your uh, partners or customers, et cetera. So that might be necessary. Okay. And the last security control in the basic tier is maintenance, monitoring, and analysis of logs. This is security control number six. And this is extremely important and most organizations get it wrong. <laughs> If you're not looking at your logs, you might as well not have logs. Right. Um, it's not enough to keep logs. You need to look at them. Um, most computers do have some logging uh, by default. The problem with this is the attackers will change those logs to cover up um, their activities. So you need to collect and manage and analyze those audit logs looking for events that should not be occurring. Keep them in a secure location or off location yeah. other than right on that device. Yeah, it's keeping them just on the device is really a bad practice. You should at least have a server or a central location set up for log management. All those logs should be copied somewhere. Um, yeah, and then back that up off-site somewhere and make sure you have the appropriate read-write access set up. Um, have logs be able to be control who's able to write to that log server, et cetera, et cetera. You know, if your environment gets hit with ransomware or malware and everything's wiped, at least you have your logs offsite. You can analyze them. I was going to say, you know, and even though we're mentioning this right now in the Sys 20, um, it makes me want to think back about uh, PCI. Uh, PCI yeah. is a big one on this one right here as far as the logs, um, reviewing those logs. Um, just recently I was looking at that with a, with a uh, particular client and, um, that's a real big one, even with the PCI, as far as your logs. Yeah, even with HIPAA, it's one of... So HIPAA is broken into... Um, people like to call optional rules. They're not actually optional. Um, what it really is, is it's up to your organization how to implement um, the spirit of that uh, rule, so to speak. And if it's not applicable to your organization, you have to document that. Okay, it's not optional. But one of the mandated rules is log analysis you need to audit your logs um yeah logging is only a record and that's only going to help you after the fact unless right. you're actively analyzing them right so yeah so some actionable tips um this is a mistake you, uh, we see a lot 
make sure that your logs are synced. Uh, have you time syncing on all of your logs? Yes, yes. Um, have at least at least three um, time sources. Um, that way, if one goes down or is unreachable, you still have a couple, at least a couple backups. Um, this is super important when you're analyzing your logs and you're looking at uh, a high level overview of your environment and comparing what's happening all over. Um, if you've got something happening on machine one at a certain time and something simultaneously happening on machine two telling you something malicious is happening, but your time is not <laughs> synced, it, they don't even look related to right. you. And you right. can miss a ton of warnings and flags like that. Right. Um, activate logging on all devices. If it can log, log it. Um, we're going to talk about the zero trust architecture approach in future episodes, um, maybe even do some webcasts on it in the future. Um, but that's one of the new and upcoming security architectures. They say log everything. Everything that can be logged, log it. Um, yeah, and then regularly copy your log server off-site somewhere. Uh, maybe even your log server is off-site. Um, that's a great security buffer zone, so to speak, to have. And then when you're doing this logging, so you got to keep in mind, um, make sure you have enough storage for it. That's right. Logs aren't huge, but they do take up space. Right. And you don't want to run out of log space. And even with the, the logging, the management of the logging, archiving that logs, those yeah. logs for a period of time. Keep them for a period of time so you can go back and look. Right. Um, and so using a SIM, um, a security incident evaluation uh, solution, that's a great way to analyze. It can, it's going to be impossible for you to go manually look through all your logs. Right. So you really need to point them to a SIM also so that the SIM can start analyzing them and looking for red flags. Right. And when you do this, you need to review your SIM regularly, set it up to alert you for suspicious activity. Right. Um, and then you need to go and adjust your SIM so you can start bringing down your false positive and your false negative rates, etc. And depending on the SIM that you use, it'll help you correlate all this together for a report of some sort. Yeah. Having periodic reports that you can review or send up the chain, et cetera. Right. right. So, yeah. Logging, a lot of organizations get it wrong, but it's super, super important to your overall security program. So, that wraps up the basic controls, and we are out of time, over time. So, next time, we're going to um, look at some of the intermediate level controls. Um www.cyberx.tech/podcast. Um, you can find all of the resources and show notes that we've referred to. We'll give links to all of this, and we hope you learned a lot. And we will see you next time. See you then. And that's the SMB Cybercast podcast. Thank you again for listening. Please check out our other white papers, roadmaps, and webcasts at www dot cyberx dot tech slash resources and our blog at www dot cyberx dot tech slash blog. We have lots of guides and roadmaps to help you improve your cybersecurity program. Go check us out and we'll see you next episode.